oh, let me write this brief and drop it off. That's not their intelligence to me, right? That's not being intelligent about your threat. That's just reporting on your threat, right? It's that security awareness at that point. I would like to not only report on it, I would like to call out gaps, right? I would like to have that healthy relationship with whatever team owns that gap and tell them, hey, I'm going to publish this. The CISO is going to see it, but it needs to get done, right? We're on the same team, that whole spiel, blah, 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 right? But partnership's so essential to the process. Howdy, y'all, and welcome to the Cyber Ranch Podcast. That's Samara Williams, Manager of Threat Operations at Cardinal Health, and she has joined me for a lively conversation about threat intelligence. We're discussing the pros and cons, what it could be and what it should be. We consider its detractors, and we also investigate how and why it might actually lead the efforts of every cybersecurity department. Samara, thank you so much for coming on down to the ranch. Thank you for having me. I'm excited. Welcome to the Cyber Ranch Podcast, recorded under the big blue skies of Texas, where one CISO explores the cybersecurity landscape with the help of friends and experts. Here's your host, Alan Alford. All right. So why don't you tell us a little bit about your background in cyber and a little bit about your day job? I started not too long ago, to be honest, and I I started in a rotational program held uh, local to Columbus, Ohio, and uh, I actually moved up from Texas to Columbus for that gig. It was uh, was pretty cool. I mean, there were seven different companies. I got to rotate through each cybersecurity department of each company, all different industries, healthcare, retail, research, financial. That matured me really quickly because I got to see how cybersecurity is structured at different companies of different sizes and different industries themselves. From there, you kind of, the the companies get to pick from the litter. I had a few offers, but I landed on uh, Huntington Bank and I did threat intelligence there. That's what I had decided very early on would be my passion. It, it, It highlighted my soft skills, but also pushed me on the technical ones as well. And that's kind of what appealed to me. I spent a good little time at Huntington and then Cardinal Health wanted to build their threat intelligence program and they hit me up. So I ended up there. I promoted to manager, sort of in that spot, continuing to grow the threat intelligence team, but I also have vulnerability management now. So my scope is gigantic, (laughs) but it's awesome. It's a huge challenge, but I love it. That sounds awesome. So so let's talk a little bit about threat intel. There's Mm -hmm. kind of a, to me, a love-hate relationship in the community. Uh, It seems to be an all or none proposition for so many, right? Either you're doing it or you're not doing it. Mm -hmm. And I'm wondering what your take on that. Can you explain both sides of that, why you would want it, why you would not want it, and then kind of where where do you fall with that? Yeah, the the why you wouldn't want it is going to be tough for me. But let me just, let me try to keep it brief as possible so I don't ramble on and on about this because I can talk about it for hours. Um, But there, there is, there's a lot of, you either love it or you hate it, like you said. And the people that hate it, <laughs> and no offense to people out there, I love you guys, but they're usually pen testers, right? Because mm. those worlds kind of collide in a way. And they're uh-huh. like, threat intelligence, why do you need that? Like pen testers study threat actors all the time. And, um, you know, we, we actually get in there, get our hands dirty. And <laughs> But the truth is, um, I see threat intelligence as a very collaborative and kind of catalyst organization, right? Mm-hmm. Between other cybersecurity orgs and um, and all together, right? And then the other side is like, oh my gosh, I love threat intelligence. I'm on that side, <laughs> okay? okay, 100%. I mean, it's my day job. It's gonna be hard for me to leave that sort of discipline. And it, I'm trying not to put it too, in, too simple, but 
So a lot of the time, especially, you know, my organization, threat intelligence has a large scope, and I think it should have a large scope. Mm-hmm. We have consumers and customers in every single department of cybersecurity, right? I'm actually doing a keynote next month about literally how threat intelligence can be in every single department in cybersecurity. Um, so I think it's um, mostly about whether people have done it a lot as well and how it's defined. That's the other thing that is kind of tough for people is how they define it based on their company and their industry because it's different anywhere you go. And so some of that lower level stuff uh, could be more appealing to Purple Team. It's the tactical, mm-hmm. you're, you're more ingrained into the sock as opposed to doing all across the board where you do start to step on you know, some pen testing toes. Gotcha. Did, I, did I answer your question? Because I know I bounced around a bit. <laughs> Yeah, that does. That does. That's and and I hadn't I hadn't really thought about that because I'm you know I'm always operating at that CISO level, and I know mm-hmm. some CISOs who aren't fans of threat intel, and I don't know that it's necessarily because of the conflict with pen testing. I I, mm. I think there's some folks who question the validity and the utility of of threat intel, and sure. how they're going to onboard that and make it inform their program in a meaningful way, right? But by the same mm-hmm. token. To your point, I think these same CISOs are usually advocates of purple teaming. So maybe there is a bit of a, that that same pen testing bias that's going on in mm-hmm. their brains. Uh, I get yeah. that. So, okay. So, so all or none, you chose all. Uh, the oh. ones that chose none, you, you think are definitely coming from a, a, a more biased perspective. So let's walk through this. Let's say that I am an all or I want to be an all. And I want to mm-hmm. embrace threat intel and get it, like you said, in every single department in my entire cyber practice. But obviously, I'm not going to get there overnight, right? So there's kind yeah. of a partial investment, right? I'm picturing a scale that ranges from, I don't know, I got some email lists from the ISAC on up to automated feeds that are complemented by manual triaging that inform everything, right? I mean, you know, just getting that full automation perspective going as well. And I don't think anybody gets to full integration overnight. So what are some small steps we can take? How do we, how do we start with, I got some emails from the ISAC on up to full integration and, and automated feeds? Yeah, absolutely. So I can give you two things. I can tell you you know, where different people start based on where their company, right, and how their cybersecurity departments work. And I'll talk to you about what I did with Cardinal Health. Okay. It's obviously working because <laughs> there's been significant investment. So there are three sort of areas of threat intelligence. There's mm-hmm. tactical, which yep. is sort of those really fine technical details um, where you are working primarily with the SOC and incident response. There's operational which um, some people say is it doesn't have to do with pen testing. I think it does. That's where your MITRE attack, mm-hmm. those TTPs, things like that is going to live. And then you have strategic, where strategic can be, depending on the company, it can go all the way to the business or it can just live within cybersecurity. You can start anywhere. If you don't have a SOC, don't go tactical, right? If you don't have a purple team or an engineering team or AppSec or anything like that, don't go operational. But anyone can do strategic. Anyone okay. can have somebody on that on that team doing research, applying it to their current company and environment, and reporting that out. So, so walk me through a little bit more of the uh, strategic perspective, if you would. This is the place where everyone can get that toehold. Walk me through mm-hmm. that a little more. Yeah. So it needs to be somebody. If somebody's going to own this process, the strategic process, and uh, personally, I think it, it could even be you know um, mid level senior level technical, or even a manager, but they need to have cycles first and foremost, right? To be able to do that research, to be able to apply it to their environment and then to report on it. Everyone does it very differently. Some people like to do it live. They meet with their C-suite, they meet with their senior leaders, and they talk about it via PowerPoint. Others do it in a brief format. I'm partial to the brief format because I don't like meetings, (laughs) but there's, there's a lot of things you can do 
in that strategic sort of document or presentation. There can be an overall awareness of what's going on in the threat landscape, right? There can be a trend of the threat landscape. What are we seeing from a year ago? What are we seeing today? And then gaps based on, could we actually defend against that? And some of it is working with those other teams to find out. Some of it is actually you know, input from the pen testing team. Mm-hmm. We know that this is broken. We know this process doesn't work, but you're reporting on it. I always say that threat intelligence has visibility up, whereas like those other orgs have visibility out, right? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. That's where we live. We are, you know, at Cardinal Health, we are the, the voice of cyber operations. Everything comes from us. Okay. Okay. So I get that perspective. So back to that operational model then of you three categories. We've got the, I want to make sure I got it right, tactical, operational, strategic. So we've addressed strategic there. Operational yes. now, that's where to me, when we talk about this, getting a program off the ground and, you know, starting with some email feeds and getting to full integration, automation, <laughs> pick one, autogration, it's a new <laughs> word. I think that this is where we start to get into things like Sticks Taxi, right? This is where mm-hmm. we start to get into standards and protocols and, and data formats to get those threat feeds fed in. So help me understand a little bit about the operational perspective. Um, you know, does this automation standard work for everyone? Is, is, is the receiving end sort of automatically there for it? Should there be other tools to ingest it besides the ones that do it today? Um, you know, what's, what's the benefit of Sticks Taxi and where are the limitations and what could it be doing? I'll start on the operational versus sort of tactical from there. Mm-hmm. So Sticks Taxi can blend those two, right? Mm-hmm. So Sticks is like the what? What are we sharing? Cyber threat information. Taxi is in, w- in the way that it's shared, right? Mm-hmm. So Sticks can actually be shared via another engine. It doesn't have to be Taxi. Okay. Um, it is helpful <laughs> to have that, but you know, I'll talk about that in a second. So depending on what's, what's being shared there. So if it's more like IP addresses and things like that, then it's going to be on that tactical side. That's what, you know, IR is like, this is what we need to block. This is what we need to keep an eye on, so on and so forth, right? Tactical seems to be a little bit more straightforward. Operational is where you can really start to dig into those details in terms of threat actors, malware, attack chains. There's a few places it can go. We leverage it quite a bit in a vulnerability intelligence process where we take in trending vulnerabilities based on sophistication, intent, if the POC code is available, the number of assets that it impacts, and we actually bump up the, the patching cycle as a result based on that threat intelligence. Um, we have seen significant results there, and that's what we've been broadcasting out. That's why we've been getting you know so much investment because we're actually seeing a return on it. Anyway, <laughs> so um, there's a lot that can go into that operational. You can tie MITRE attack to different risk frameworks. You can tie it to your controls and gap analysis to, and then feed your strategic right? Reporting from there. There's a lot that can be done. From a sticks and taxi perspective, if you have a larger team with super solid engineers, right? Whether they're engineers on your team or an engineering team, right? That you just leverage. You don't necessarily always need sticks taxi. However, if you're a smaller team, like it was just me and one other guy starting at Cardinal Health, when we didn't have a, some sort of sticks, ta- I can never say that integration, uh-huh. then it was it was much easier to make things happen from there. So I think it's necessary, and I feel like it depends. And that's probably another thing that makes people very uncomfortable with threat intelligence because it always just depends, right? There's it's right. not a lot of black and white. Right. Um, you're constantly trying to move the needle. It, it's it's tough to to prevent a lot, and it's tough to prove that you're preventing. 
That's that's the CISO conundrum of, you know, I've, I've seen so mm-hmm. many board reports where they start to list things like, well, here's all the threats we've locked and here's all the malwares that the antivirus caught and here's yep. all the bad IP addresses we've locked at the firewall. And, you know, it's like going upstairs and saying 7 million bad things that I stopped. And the answer is, well, how many got through? You know, mm-hmm. okay, great. So you block 7 million. What about the 14 million you didn't block? You know, what is, it's hard to articulate. It really is hard to articulate. And I think going down the path of here's all the cool possibles we addressed is a really hard sell upstairs. Well, and threat intelligence is, it's expensive. It is, it's expensive for not being able to have that sort of instant gratification, some sort of return on investment, right? To prove. I'll tell you what my CISO does really well mm-hmm. is she uses us. We have a direct line to her to provide information and for her to ask for information. Um, nice. And I think she she uses us as her own sort of RSS feed. And I'm totally fine with that. I love having it. She also helped us drive an initiative to do executive OSINT projects. Okay. So essentially we would meet, we would have some sort of target, right? An executive on um, on the team on at Cardinal Health. And uh, we would dig as far as we could into them uh, on the internet, whatever was available free. So we could show them This is all of the information. Yeah, this is all of the information that we've gotten for free. Can you imagine if somebody just paid (laughs) $1.50? Like they would get way more information on you. This is the kind of things you can expect. We even put together some mock like phishing attempts, which is another great thing about threat intelligence. Pen testers, again, I love pen testers. If you're a pen tester, don't get offended. But they like getting their hands dirty. They like breaking things. They feel... A little jaded if somebody asked them, can you build me a template of what you would do? No, I just want to do it. Right. Threat intelligence can be that team that just builds the templates. You know, the, the people on my team, extremely different backgrounds. That's what I like about it. But they also have great soft skills as well as technical skills. And sometimes you can't find both. And it's the perfect right. team to have that. Beautiful. Yeah. All right, so let's switch gears, and I'm going back to your your strategic operational tactical model. Sure. Let's switch back to the tactical a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm thinking of the SOC, and I'm thinking of the fact that one of, one of my complaints about the SOC, and there's an anti-SOC movement going on right now in CISO circles. I don't know if you've seen much of this. I've seen one phrase now, like like the anti-SOC backlash has been around for a couple of years that I know of, maybe even longer. But only recently have I seen a name given to the alternative, and that was D-IR, distributed IR. Mm -hmm. And the whole idea is, do we really need to concentrate everything in this SOC? Do we really need what is effectively noise pollution and then humans and machines to filter said noise? You know, and, and, and that's the biggest complaint I think that the anti-SOC crowd has got uh, on the table. But for me, that's not even as much of an issue. I think that we have the tools, technology, and training to ingest all that read-only nonsense and deal with it, right? Mm-hmm. But but that's exactly it. It's read-only. And I'm wondering how we can better arm the SOC and get them out of read-only mode and get them to where their feeds are more directly informing operations. In other words, by your model, that bridge between tactical and operational, to me, mm-hmm. that's the missing piece. That's why when I criticize SOC, I criticize SOC. So what do you think? How can Threat Intel help bridge the tactical and the operational? Yeah, that's great. And I'm, I'd have to look into this distributed incident response more because there are extremely um, talented incident responders that feel that as though they are above SOC work, right? Um, mm-hmm. And you can lose a very talented incident responder by giving them SOC-like work. Right. Um, but to your point, threat intelligence can help here where you don't necessarily need to get rid of the SOC, but they become more informed. And I think even more so could get them ready for that next step sort of critical thinking at a different mindset and everything like that. So anyway, Mm -hmm. let me get into it. Where we're trying to get 
because um, our, so we're threat operations and um, incident response on SOC is called security operations where I'm at. So that relationship is probably the most vital from a tactical perspective and even from an operational perspective because they own threat hunting as well, which is another great partner for threat intelligence. And what we are currently investing in not only feeds, not only um, enrichment, there's, you know, blacklists or block lists, I should say, but also a, a threat intelligence platform, right? Mm-hmm. We're calling it a collaboration tool because we do want more hands in the cookie jar as opposed to, no, this is our baby. You know, we, we don't have ownership issues. We take on a lot and we give up a lot, uh, but that's how you have to be. So essentially what a threat intelligence platform could do, you could plug it into whatever case management system you're using or even a SIM um, SIM SOAR, SIM or SOAR, and basically enrich the information within that SIM SOAR or case management system. So when an IP pops up, you could have different sources from your threat intelligence platform that say, uh, this is bad. Uh, we don't know if this is bad. No, 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 for sure this is bad, right? Um, mm-hmm. And then you're, you're kind of quicker in that sense of action, but as well, but also you get additional context as to why said thing is bad as opposed to using something open source where it's kind of like, oh, well, Passive Total Community says this, but URL House says this, you know, something like that. Um, or, you know, Virus Total, the free versions. But yeah, that's that's essentially what we're trying to get to. And that's where a lot of that tactical collaboration will live. Very similar to uh, vulnerability intelligence, where mm-hmm. we're looking at these vulnerabilities and bubbling them up. We can also bubble up different cases that come in, especially if there's an there's like a huge backlog that threat intelligence can help with prioritization. So essentially, the important thing behind the tip is source confidence, right? Okay. So there's a lot of a lot of trial and error that has to happen. Obviously, if you're paying for a commercial tool, more likely than not, they are giving you something of value, right? But things like freer version of a tip, a lot of people use MISP. There's a lot of open source stuff that comes in there. A lot of Caring and feeding, and you know, and scripting and automation, you have to put build into it instead of out of the box. Um, and that source confidence matters even more in those freer versions as opposed to the as opposed to the commercial version. But it's extremely important either way, so that we we sift out the crap essentially. And mm-hmm. our SOC knows these are credible sources. This is for real. That's also okay. a huge part of it. All right, let's pause right there and hear a brief word from our sponsor. The complexity of cloud infrastructure means every organization's security challenges are unique. Whether your challenge is threat hunting, policy management, cloud workload protection, or all of the above, Uptix helps you quickly identify and eliminate observability gaps in your security program. That's Uptix. Analytics for the modern attack surface, observability for the modern defender. Check out Uptix by visiting Uptix.com. That's U-P-T-Y-C-S dot com. Thank you, Uptix, for sponsoring this episode. So it's, it's, it's validating the data and giving it a confidence factor as well. Kind of a, kind of a twin combo. And now you're informing that SOC. So, so we're, still, we're still very much a read-only enterprise uh, in the SOC at the, in that model. But, but at the same time, we're reading, uh, how do I put it? We're reading clean data now, or we're getting the cleaner <laughs> yeah. data to us more rapidly. Uh, yeah. We're getting the meaningful contextual data to us more rapidly, I, I guess is probably the best way to put that. And if that's happening, then in theory, 
your sock practitioners are are less about churning through noise to you know some of the needles are already being sifted from the haystack basically for them. Right. The most successful socks have great tra- cross training programs yes. as well with yes. incident response with threat hunting, so they can actually take that data a step further. Mm-hmm. That's probably another way to keep them out of the hole read only. But they also need they not only need the cycles, but they need the support. In order yeah, to they do. That. And and to your point, training is. Um, you know, it's the old people, process, and technology. We were talking about technology. Now we're talking about people and process too, because you've got to wrap that stuff. You can't just willy-nilly say, oh, go hang out with those guys and learn what they know, whatever it might be. You, you've got to have a little more clarity, discipline, and vision. Somebody, somebody above those two departments needs to have a vision for how that interaction might look, what that training might look like, what kind of information you really want these guys to walk away with after mm-hmm. that encounter. And I think if that effort is put in, if that process is put in place and, and the people are there and amenable, I've never seen anything but value from cross-training with SOC. Um, and I think to your point earlier, you, you mentioned another example of kind of a career growth moment. I think those cross-training opportunities let SOC analysts see what else they might want to do as they evolve in their mm-hmm. careers. Absolutely. Yeah, actually, um, SOC analysts make fantastic threat intelligence analysts because they're used to handling a million things at once. Right. <laughs> is right. one of them, right? And then they're used to taking on a serious load. One critique I've personally had with threat intelligence, and mm-hmm. I'm going to use uh, the MITRE ATT&CK as an example here, MITRE ATT&CK framework. And okay. the metaphor I'm going to use is the flu shot. Mm-hmm. You go and get your flu shot this year. And what's in that flu shot is based on what last year's flu was. Right. And most of the time it's accurate. And most of the time you get your shot and you end up not getting the flu. But some of the times they completely guessed wrong and the flu that you got today is not the flu you got the shot for yesterday. And now you're sick as a dog because the shot just miscalculated. It was just, it was just wrong. It was the wrong data going into the, into the syringe, if you will. So to me, minor attack framework, which does a pretty noble job of staying current is still never going to be a hundred percent current, right? There's always some time lag. So there's always zero day stuff that can happen. But, but even then, even, even barring a true zero day, there's some lag between when it was last published and what we're seeing today. And so to Mm -hmm. me, that's kind of indicative of this idea that, that threat intelligence is never going to be truly complete, never going to be truly caught up. How do you tackle that aspect of it? Like, how do you manage that uncertainty and manage that, that quantity of unknowns and manage that, hey, we could still have a zero day. You mentioned before communicating upstairs and having a direct line to your CISO. How does that one look? That is a uh, great and very loaded and convoluted question, uh, but I appreciate <laughs> it. If, if, <laughs> if things actually kept me up at night, that would be the one thing I sleep, I, but I sleep like a baby. So processing... What, what you've said here. I am a strong, strong believer of MITRE ATT&CK, but I'm also mm-hmm. a strong, strong believer of, um, like I said, their intelligence having that wider scope, right? Having yep. multiple partners, having the full uh, sort of life cycle of threat intelligence, and maybe adding in a couple of sprinkles of flavor as well. So I'll give you an example. The way that we are approaching preventing these compromises, these breaches is actually getting things done so here's my here's my issue with other threat intelligence programs. It's not, oh, let me write this brief and drop it off. That's not threat intelligence to me, right? Mm-hmm. That's not being intelligent about your threat. That's just reporting on your threat, right? It's that's security awareness at that point. I would like to not only report on it, I would like to call out gaps. Mm-hmm. I would like to have that healthy relationship with whatever team owns that gap and tell them, hey, I'm going to publish this. CISO is going to see it. 
but it needs to get done, right? We're on the same team, that whole spiel, blah, 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 yeah, right? Yeah. But partnership's so essential to the process. I want to call out that gap. My team is actually also responsible for um, the technical risk quantification of it as well. So mm-hmm. tying some sort of risk score to it that has been adopted by the cybersecurity departments, or at least they know it's some sort of uh, trusted process. And then tying that to some sort of remediation plan. Okay. Um, and it can be very simple. It can be very simple. Based on the level of the rating, this is how much time you have. If you do, if you do not get it done within this time, obviously, you know, being realistic with our partners, right? If you not, if you do not get it done in this amount of time, we are going to report on it. Whatever your risk tracking tool is, you right. stick it in there. Everybody's aware of it, and voila, people get money for new people, new tools. You know, because we are essentially going all across the board. Here are our gaps. Here's the improvements that need to be made, and from there, we. I guess, trust, it's still to your point, we're still behind, but we trust that because we're taking care of this gap, we can prevent things from happening in the future. Got it. Okay. Okay. So, so I guess focus on your internal gaps, not the external gaps in the threat intelligence itself, right? Focus on the internal gaps first. And if you're addressing those gaps, the odds are that 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 hygiene is going to potentially be the same hygiene that, that blocks a zero day that does come out tomorrow. That you're really what I'm hearing is an argument for the fundamentals, right? That's what I'm hearing. Absolutely. Absolutely. And we are, uh, I, I have ideas of, you know, tying specific things all the way granularly to like a CIS top 20, right? If we uh-huh. had, not only if we had this, but we, if we had all of this other stuff, asset management being like one of the bigger ones, we had all of this stuff, you know, in the, in the pipeline and yep. some sort of remediation plan, a lot of this would be solved, but yep course, companies grow too quickly for their security. Right, right, right. Yeah. And mapping attack framework to 800-53, CIS, CSC, mm-hmm. uh, which is now what? The top 18, not the top 20. Uh, right. You know, uh, whatever. CSF, ISO 27001. Attack framework can overlay neatly and nicely with some of the larger, more strategic frameworks. There's definitely some value, I think, in that intersection and exploring that intersection for sure. Uh-huh. So let's switch gears. Mm-hmm. You're clearly passionate about threat intel. That comes across, totally. right? So why don't you make the case for me that threat intelligence should be the driver of the entire cybersecurity operation? Go. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So let's say, I'm going to try not to talk fast here because I'm very competitive. (laughs) So you said go, I wanted to go, right? Um, So essentially, I'm slowing down here. We have your SOC. We have your incident response. We have AppSec. We have vulnerability management. We even have risk and compliance, right? And your pen testing team. Do you want them to focus on their core responsibilities? Pen testing environments, keeping out the bad guys, scanning for vulnerabilities, scanning for you know application vulnerabilities, mm-hmm. or would you like to add <laughs> sort of that awareness piece, the education and partnership with other organizations, um, education not only externally, but also internally to make those connections, add that to their slate. Some companies have to, they don't mm-hmm. have the money, right? But if you have the money, take that off those other people, create a better cross-training program for them, but also have that dedicated threat intelligence program to drive those, pro- those other departments to where they need to be. And that's primarily through prioritization based on the threats, because what are we defending ourselves <laughs> against, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. It's the threats. Um, but have that roadmap to be able to... Um, successfully fulfill that tactical, operational, and strategic. And 
you don't know how, I'm happy to talk about it. Awesome. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. So final question, and this is one I ask all my guests, what surprises you the most in cybersecurity? Man, I, I feel like it's a little bit of a dead horse, but I'm going to kick it anyway. <laughs> How tough it is to get into the industry. I mean, I am a strong believer that anyone with the passion and the drive, right, to increase their education related to cybersecurity could be in a threat intelligence program because it, it requires a different mindset. It requires mm -hmm. a different level of critical thinking. Obviously, I'm not saying it's a better level. It's just a different level. You've got to constantly take yourself, put yourself in the shoes of an attacker, put yourself in the shoes of a defender, put yourself in the shoes of leadership as well. What they're going to want to hear, see, blah, 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 it's not. But I'm also a strong believer that depending on their goal, anyone can work in cybersecurity as well. We have sort of this innate understanding of physical security. And, that, and I'm going to plug my TEDx. But that's exactly why I talked about physical security compared to cybersecurity in my TEDx, because anyone in the general population could make those connections. Everyone locks their door <laughs> at night. Right. You know, some people have an alarm. Most people have an alarm, I should say. Most people want to feel protected. It's just we can't see the digital world. So it's easier to forget about it. The other thing, because I'm really rambling at this time, preaching at you here. The other thing is how split the industry seems to be uh -huh. between elitists, people who could give a crap about anybody else or anything else and like the paycheck and like the true believers that just want to make themselves better and everyone around them better. Mm -hmm. um, I wish it didn't seem so siloed, I guess, right? Because those people surround themselves with people like them. Right. I think, I think we've all worked in that shop at some point, right? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And there's a mix of all those different types of people in one department and how do you get them to work together well? Mm -hmm. um, how do you get the people who love it not to overwork themselves completely? How do you right. get to the people who, you know, don't really care to start caring and, you know, maybe go to a team building event every so often, right? Right. Um, right. And then the and then the elitists, how do you get them to stop making other feel other people feel inferior? It's it's a tough one. I'm still working on it. I'm very much kind of direct and straightforward. And I want to tell you what I'm thinking, but that doesn't right. always work. Yeah. Right. Certain audiences just don't receive that kind of message. All right. Well, that that's fantastic answers to the question. I love that. And it's interesting, the, 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 the siloing piece, I don't think anyone's brought that up. And the breaking into cyber clearly is a thing that, yes. that needs to be, you're right, it is a dead horse. But by the same token, I still think we need to keep beating it like a drum mm -hmm. until more people rally and, and get behind that. We've done a show, we've done a couple of shows actually on, on breaking into cyber. Um, and I've yep. got some friends who have a podcast by that very name. All right. Well, Samara Williams, Manager of Threat Operations at Cardinal Health. Thank you so much for coming on down to the ranch. Thank you, listeners. Y'all be good now. <laughs>